0: From DX School, this is the Flourishing at School podcast. With mental health becoming a global priority, we are your partner for creating schools where students, teachers, and school leaders feel good and function well, becoming the best versions of themselves and contributing to a flourishing world. Welcome to the Flourishing at School podcast. I'm Tamara Lechner. Each week, together with my co-host Jason Van Shee, We bring you the best practitioners, academics, and everything in between in order to inform best practice in whole school mental health. So Jason, we're on the road again. I am in Olympia, Oregon, or Washington, one of the two. I'm not even exactly sure because it's been a whirlwind travel day for me. Where are you?
1: Uh, Still in Sydney. So even though there's been a week between these episodes, uh, we only recorded the other one yesterday our time um so still in Sydney um and still enjoying
0: life yes excellent and so we were asked we always ask everybody to talk about what they've been doing to support their well-being so I'm going to jump in and just say today for me it was just going with the flow because I was on a ferry they never go as fast as you want I actually left the house without my credit card I always have my credit card on my phone but apparently In the United States, you need an actual physical credit card. So I had to have my husband fly it to me. Um, (laughs) It's been a day, let me tell you. These 24 hours since our last recording have felt a lot longer than that. So for my well-being, I'm exhaling and doing nothing tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're going with the flow because uh, that would be very stressful for a lot of people. Um, Yeah, I actually got a nice message at about 9 o'clock last night um, and saying, hey, I see you're in Sydney, you're going to catch up for a beer? I'm like, sure. It's only 6 p.m. in Perth, so, um, you know, um, usually I'm going to bed about 9 o'clock. So it was like, hey, I'm going to use this jet lag to my advantage for once. So it was nice. So, yeah, um, catching up with people still is, is very good for my
0: well-being. Well, on that note, I'm excited and delighted to be catching up with my friend, Dana, who I have not seen since I was in Australia, I think back in 2020, it's been a while. Dana is part of a dynamic duo that has just the most brilliant relationship building group called You Are Strong. She started, I think, as a fourth grade teacher in Canada. She's a fellow Canadian. And once she saw the complexity of relationships and friendships, she was motivated to create, lessons, explicit learnings around kindness in schools. So Dana, I'm going to let you unpack a lot more of that, but I'm so excited to have you here talking
2: about relationships in schools today. Uh, You know it, I love talking about all things friendship and of course haven't seen you in forever and it's really great to see you again and Jason, I just love that you just shared the importance of friendship and connection and the impact that it has on our well-being. So kudos to you for making time for that um, and for your friend reaching out. That's what we need to be doing, um, especially when life is feeling hard and complicated. You know, friendship ends up being that one thing that sometimes falls off the priority list when, in fact, it needs to be at the top.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a conscious thing, right? I remember, um, you know, February last year, I was feeling quite burnt out and uh, a group of guys were put on a poker night and uh, I was just like, no, nah, I'm too exhausted, not going. Didn't go that month. It ended up being the best decision I made because then my wife heard from um, my mate's friend, oh, where was Jason? I'm like, why didn't he come along? And uh, Jess is like, no, you really need to make sure you go to those things. It's good for your well-being.
2: Absolutely. And so she uses that as an
1: excuse every time when she's like, "You're going to poke <laughs> yeah, her again? Yeah, Ooh, exactly. It's good
2: for my well. Yeah, remember, remember, it's good for my well-being. No way. Well, right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and beer. Our first two well-being yeah. tips of the podcast. <laughs> well, and Tamara, I was going to suggest wine for you tonight because I'm thinking that might also help with your the day that you've had.
0: I strongly agree. Absolutely. Agree <laughs> so, Dana, can you start? I know a bit more about who you yeah. are and what you do than Jason does. But I would love it if you could take five minutes and just kind of fill us in on
2: <laughs> career to date. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, as you mentioned, I am a teacher and um, was teaching in Canada, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where I started out. I've been teaching for for two decades now, but back in the early days of my teaching career, basically realized pretty quickly that my students couldn't learn when they'd gone out at recess and had an issue with a friend. Um, I noticed that my students weren't writing very beautiful stories for me if they'd had an issue with a friend. So not only that, I would go home every single night to emails from parents saying, my child has come home from school today, crying, they're upset because of an issue with a friend. So it was very clear to me very early on that we need to get friendship right in schools first. And when we get friendship right, then our students can learn and they love coming to school and they feel good about themselves. So that was kind of the beginning. I I started um, almost 14 years ago. I wrote the very first Friendology 101 curriculum um, and started teaching it to my students. And it was a game changer. I mean, I spent that time teaching them skills to create healthy friendships, to um, resolve conflict. And and so I needed language also. That was the other thing, like uh, around these issues we have with friends. People were calling them a fight with a friend, a misunderstanding, a disagreement. Of course, lots of people call it bullying when in fact it's not. So part of the friendology curriculum was creating some language and some tools that we could use that were really clear to kids. So we call it a friendship fire. You know, and we te- and in Friendology, teach them step-by-step step how to put those fires out. So yeah, almost 14 years ago, ran that very first Friendology 101 um, curriculum. And since then, we have reached over 1 million kids, parents and teachers around the world and we're in schools globally
0: wow congratulations that's that's amazing i have a follow-on question because i'm curious to know what the age of the students that you first started this with were and what age has has grown to
2: oh my gosh um i love that question because one of the things i talk about in our teacher training um is just the changes that i've seen in kids since i wrote that first curriculum so um, at that time, I was working with students in grades four to six for that very first round. My students, 14 years ago, did not have mobile phones. They did not have TikTok, Snapchat. They'd not been through a global pandemic. There had been no Black Lives Matter movements. To say that my students have changed in those 14 years is, is an understatement. I mean, their friendships have changed so much we've seen parenting change so much um so yeah this is we've one of the things I, I talk about all the time with teachers is i am constantly updating the curriculum updating the resources to change alongside the kids because man they're really their friendships have evolved
1: um amazing work that's uh, such a such a big impact that you've been having dana um So it's, uh, yeah, it seems like relationships is the topic of the day, right? So why do you believe relationships play such a key role in schools?
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting because obviously, as I mentioned, when I first started out, I realized, you know, friendships are really important. My students can't concentrate. And I just knew it, you know, kind of intuitively in that sense. But then I started digging into the research. And all of the well-being science continues to point to relationships being the at the absolute heart of our well-being. There is nothing more important to our well-being than relationships. And even during these past few years with the global pandemic, I mean, we've all felt it. We understand. And and the studies that have come out from that, even, um, you know, they've mapped the brain in terms of that feeling when we crave connection is the exact same in the brain as when we crave food and water so relationships are a basic need connection is a basic need and especially as social creatures so it's it the, the science is 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 there and more and more is coming out telling us that you know that social emotional well-being is foundational so for me specifically friendships in schools though That's where it's at, you know, because when, again, I can talk about the research from the pandemic, when we look at what kids miss most about school, what were they um, feeling saddest about and and missing? It was their friends. You know, Mm -hmm. friends are that, um, that most important relationship to children at schools. So what I love is that, Teaching kids friendship skills then apply to all their other relationships. You know, I always say friendship skills are relationship skills. So, Tamara, your earlier question actually, you asked, you know, what grades we're looking at. It started out grades four to six, but we now have curriculum starting at early years. So, our little three to five year olds all the way up to year eight. So we have curriculum for all of those ages. And then what we're starting to do now in the last year or two, we've been working with high schools, um, nine to 12, grades nine to 12, um, in terms of a peer mentorship model. So training, I'm actually next week training year 10 students who are supporting the year seven students in their friendships because the research is showing us that children are more likely to seek help from a friend, um, a peer, a mentor, over a grownup. They're not going to teachers and they're not going to parents. And the reason is we often make it worse. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> which I had, I did a session last night, I had about 300 parents and I had to tell them, you often make it worse. You call the other kids mom, And as soon as you do that, I mean, this is the science of consequences. Kids are less likely to go to you for help because you actually made that friendship fire bigger. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's friendship skills to me, are relationship skills and you know, all the science supports the importance of relationship.
1: Yeah. And Dana here in Australia, I think the government really were very cognizant of that during the pandemic. Um, you know, we'd already before the pandemic had um, record suicides, um, you know, in the preceding reporting period, you know, double the amount of people taking their own life than people dying in motor vehicle accidents, right? Um, yeah. And so there was a huge amount of investment put into telemedicine and looking at ways to, you know, try and reduce the, the mental health issues that would come along with that isolation. So well, uh, ready? yeah, at, at, at all levels, relationships are important. and People understand that.
2: Do you know what? Actually, the government, um, the state government in Victoria have invested um, hundreds of millions of dollars in their schools in mental health initiatives. And You, you are strong is actually among that list of approved providers. But, man, I hope the rest of the world is watching because I just love right. Tamara, you know what I'm saying? I just I'm so impressed that victoria is doing this all of their government schools get twenty five thousand dollars per year for three years to invest in approved mental health and well-being providers and i know that they're going to see just a massive impact and my hope is the rest of the world is watching and will follow along in their footsteps i
0: couldn't agree with you more and i've seen similar things happening in the UK, where they've put money into a senior mental health lead upskilling. And so it's interesting that the Victoria schools are looking at programming for the kids, whereas the UK is going to adults and it actually brings me to a question that I was considering because I follow your Instagram and your LinkedIn and all your posts. And I'm often looking at what you're using as examples for kids who are nine, ten years old. And I look at them and go, these are perfect for childish behaving adults. Uh, and we all know those, right? We, those parents, those moms who are calling on behalf of their child and, and going to school and saying to the teacher, my child didn't do this. They are engaging in childish behavior. So I often think the skills that you teach need to be um, taught to be adults. And I think perhaps your mentoring approach is brilliant because the adults learning how to monitor the mentors in the high school are going to glean some of these tips so what is the difference between the relationships that students see modeled at school by teachers where often it's not about relationship building techniques it's about behavior controlling techniques and how can we as teachers model Good relationship skills when we're in a different relationship because we're not in a friendship with our students. Can you parse that out a little bit for teachers? Because I've seen teachers confuse it. We all have those teachers that go too far on the try to be a friend scale and they lose control of their classroom. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know you are so good with this.
2: Oh, I just had about 8,000 thoughts (laughs) come to my mind at one time. Um, And it is so true what you say around. These skills that we're teaching children apply to grownups as well. And there's something pretty powerful about it, the simplicity of the language and the tools and strategies. But I tell kids all the time, I use this in my life all the time. So a couple of things, modeling behavior. I will say I've been in hundreds, maybe thousands of schools now at this point. I walk into a school and I feel the energy, the vibe, the personality as soon as I walk into that school. I can tell the difference between a friendly, warm, nurturing, loving environment versus a cold, hostile environment. And what's reflected back to me is in the behavior of the children, Um, but you see it. So it's pretty basic stuff. I mean, really that we are showing and modeling this behavior to the students. Um, But when I think about friendship fact number three, which is trust and respect, are the two most important qualities in a friendship. And in our friendology curriculum, we really unpack this with the kids and we talk about you know what is trust in action? What is respect in action? What does this look like? What's it feel like? Um, this applies to healthy relationships across the board. So ensuring that we are setting up our relationships to have this foundation of trust and respect. So I expect that a teacher, a good teacher, a teacher who really understands the value and the importance of creating that relationship, that connection um, with their students is showing their student respect. And we know that respect, what go is, is reciprocal. You give respect to get respect and that's how it goes. Um, one of the examples that we use in our training is around this idea. I mean, we say to kids all the time, you teach people how to treat you, right? You teach people how to treat you. And so we talk about our friendship fires versus mean on purpose behavior, which is very different. Um, but one of the examples we give is, can you think of a teacher who lets you get away with everything? And you guys are out of control in that teacher's class. And you know you can get away with it versus a teacher that you wouldn't dare do that with, right? Because you know that teacher has set that expectation. That teacher has created that environment and created that that understanding around what they will and will not allow and accept. And so that's really modeling boundaries for kids. That's teaching kids about healthy and unhealthy relationships. That's teaching students about what we all deserve. And so we all deserve, you know, to be treated with respect. So it all applies to Mara and Jason to, to all of our relationships. And, and I use those moments. I mean, as a teacher, these are teachable moments, right? When a student, I did it. I did this the other day. I was actually at a school in Sydney and a student said something rude and I used my quick comeback which is something that we use, we teach the children when it's mean on purpose. Um, I used my quick comeback, and I just stopped the kids, and they are all like, whoa. And then I just stopped, and I said, oh, you guys, what just happened? What did I just use? And they're like, you used your quick comeback. Hmm. And so, and the students and I, like, we had this shared understanding. He knew that what he did was not cool, and he, I know that he would never do that again, because I stood up for myself. So
0: I I want to tell Jason about this quick comeback because I honestly think it's one of the most brilliant things I've seen taught. Um, and so this is me, like hats off to you. You know, with kids, when that amygdala hijack happens, when they're in a social situation where someone has either said something mean on purpose or somebody has accidentally said something that's wounding and the amygdala is gone and they right away go to, well, you're not coming to my birthday party or you're not my friend anymore. And that beast comes out without them having thought about it. Dana does this very cool thing where she helps the kids practice. What did you call it? Your quick, come a quick comeback so that they have this practiced. And when that beast comes out, the quick comeback is an automatic response. It's brilliant. Um, it's it's one of the best things I've seen happen in schools and I saw her teach it and then I saw it used in real time by some of the girls at the school. So it is absolutely a it's strategy incredible. that is wonderful and I think even as an adult, it's given me pause. I've practiced setting a boundary and having that boundary setting statement. Um, and I learned, I learned this when I was getting a divorce that I needed to have those, okay, you don't need to answer right now. Um, and I, I learned just to be able to say, I need some time and space to think about this. And then my second one was, you don't get to talk to me like that. And so those two things coming out would kind of save me from having that aggressive beast show up. And-
1: so, so when you say quick comeback, you're not saying things like, um, I know you are, but what am I?
2: <laughs> yeah. um,
1: that's, no, that's not it.
2: <laughs> And that's one of the things we we teach them, that a quick comeback, we don't respond to mean on purpose behavior with mean on purpose behavior. Because most kids, and this is what happens, most kids and adults, all of us, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to respond, we resort to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Those are very unhealthy responses. When we practice in advance and we have a preloaded statement or a script that is locked in and memorized, then our default setting becomes that script or that more healthy appropriate response. So when we don't learn these things though, we resort to the default setting, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, or the default settings of our parents. And the advice that they've given us, which is typically just punch them the next time. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it is it is really and that that is about empowerment ultimately. Yeah. We feel empowered when we know what to say and we know what to do. We feel disempowered when we have no strategies and we're just fumbling and mm-hmm. we're just going on instincts, which our instincts were designed to protect us from serious threat, like, you know, lions and things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and like you say, a lot of these skills can be taught and if you're having to think about it in the moment and you haven't had that rehearsal, then you're not as well prepared to act in a constructive way. And and I think back to, you know, active constructive responding, for example, it's something that, you know, some people aren't familiar with and need to practice. Um, Yeah, so all of those things are great. But um, Dana, I'd be interested in, I can understand how like some of those skills that you're teaching and, and getting kids to rehearse can be really helpful for relationships. Um, can you give us any other um, uh, things that you've, you've shared or done within a school that have been really fantastic?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, uh, so there's so much more to our curriculum than just obviously um, putting out friendship fires and responding to mean on purpose behavior. I mean, conflict is an aspect of relationship, but... We also teach them about creating friendships, making new friends. And so they learn how to introduce themselves. So um, like from that, those very awkward new first moments. But one of, I think the most powerful things that uh, we are teaching is teaching children how to have a conversation. There is an art to a conversation um, and not everybody is naturally good at it. And so when it come, when we when we take a look at just even making friends, I, I was just interviewed last week by a journalist on this topic of adults, adults really struggling to make new friends and feeling lonely. I mean, we have a loneliness um, epidemic. Some countries reporting one in three of their citizens, a third of their citizens are feeling lonely. We know that Gen Z, our youth, are actually reporting um, among the highest levels of loneliness in addition to, of course, our aging population. So loneliness is a massive issue. So we need to teach people how to create connection because it's not um, normal and natural for all. Plus. With our online world, and of course we're on our phones and digital, blah blah blah. Um, you know, people are are hiding behind these devices and not making those meaningful connections. And and when I, you know, Barbara Fredrickson and her beautiful, wonderful, amazing research on positivity resonance, and this is like that feeling that we have when we connect with someone, and it's like superfood. There's nothing better for our well-being than those moments of connection, or. Jane Dutton's research on high quality connections. Um, so it is about teaching kids also how to form those initial connections. It's interesting. Um, it's
0: interesting. Yeah, go ahead. I, because adults, I think not only post pandemic, just in general, these aren't skills that we were taught. Some of us learned no. them along the way. Um, and I was listening to a neuroscience podcast with Jillian, Sandstrom recently, and she kind of does an adult version of what you do. Uh, And she said, I never thought this would be a job. I was just an introvert who didn't know how to make friends. And as a scientist, I went out and started doing experiments. And then these experiments became courses because people came wanting to be experimented on because they heard it was a great way to make a friend. And and so I think that absolutely teaching this to the kids is Perfect, Because it is a skill they will take when they start a new school, when they start a new job, when they start dating, all of a sudden they have a skill set rather than just figuring it out by fumbling through, which I think is probably what we all did.
2: Totally. Well, and I want, let me give you some practical strategies because if you're a teacher and you're listening to this podcast and you're anything like me, you're thinking, okay, so how do I do it? How do I teach my kids? I want practical tips and strategies. Um, So the first thing, we teach kids four strategies for making new friends. One of them, and this is a favorite of mine that I use as an adult, is having a quick question. So you know how we just talked about a quick comeback. It's locked in, memorized, ready to go. We all need to have one quick question locked in there, ready to go when we meet someone for the first time. So for kids, it could be, you know, what's your favorite video game? For adults, it could be. Hey, where did you grow up? It could be something like, oh, are you local? Do you live in this neighborhood? We have these questions locked in, ready to go. My next strategy that we teach kids and works for adults as well is um, the art of conversation. So we teach it through a game of catch, ask and pass back and forth. So just like you throw it when you play catch, you throw a ball, the person catches it, they throw it back. Well, a conversation is just exactly the same, except I'm throwing you a question. You answer the question, and then you need to ask me a question back. If you don't ask me a question back, that conversation is over, just like the game of catch. And how many of you have talked to somebody, and you feel like you're talking to a brick wall, right? You keep asking them questions, they answer it, and then you're like, oh, back in that awkward moment again of like... Uh so what else? Uh you know. So the art of conversation is something that can absolutely be taught. Children are really good at it once they learn and they start practicing. And then of course the goal, the, always the goal when we have a conversation with someone is to find something in common. Because when we find that commonality, that game of catch gets a whole lot easier. We go back Oh do you have kids Oh, you do have kids. Me too. How old are your kids? Oh, wow. You're 12. You know, all of a sudden we find that connection and that is where a new friendship begins.
1: Yeah, that's great advice, Dana. Um, I can see that again, working really, really well uh, with kids. Got to try some of these tips up with my own kids, (laughs) I think. Um, But what what about something that maybe hasn't worked as well as what, you know, you you would have liked Um, with a lot of our guests, right? You know, they're... Pretty much on the cutting edge, and they like innovating and they like trying out new things. And sometimes we learn from failures. So, is there anything that you've tried that you would suggest to people don't try because I've tried it and it doesn't work?
2: Yeah, I guess, I mean, lots of things. Well, you know, that's life me. <laughs> I'd you. hope
1: so, right? We learn, we learn, we can learn very quickly by failing. So, <laughs>
2: oh, totally. I would, I would say, um, so, oh, I could go into so many things. The first thing I'll say that doesn't work is telling kids to just ignore it just ignore it, suck it up, play with someone else. It's not a big deal. So I'll I'll tell you that I did try that initially in as a teacher working with my students. Um, that doesn't work. So that was the, you know, inspiration for the friendship strategy. But in terms of actually teaching a friendship strategy and supporting students, um, one thing that does not work is with older kids role-playing. So, Older kids, as my, we know role-playing is effective, isn't it? I mean, we know that when we practice it, we know what happens in the brain, clearing the neural pathways. I mean, it's just one of the best things. However, older students, like, would rather die than be in the class and have to role-play and act this stuff out with their friends. This is something, I mean, I'm talking about with teachers all the time, but this is the art of teaching now to find clever, creative, impactful ways to get these lessons to our students and these learnings in a way that feels comfortable for them, in a way that really resonates with who they are. Um, So our friend-o-leader model that I was kind of talking about before, where we are training the older students in the language and strategies, like we're kind of saying, like, it's not for you guys but you have to learn it. Like it's not for you. You need to learn it and understand it, but it's for them. But you just have to, because you're gonna teach it. We know teaching is the highest form of learning, isn't it? So this is like, I mean, I'll tell you, this has been an absolute game changer to train the older students in our language and strategies to support the younger ones. But guess what happens? (laughs) You know, they lock in all the learning, all the all the concepts become just part of their friendship literacy as well and so they're naturally applying it to their relationships so that's just i mean a couple examples for you Jason but i mean so many learning constantly
1: yeah now that's uh that's a great flip like this doesn't work but but this does um you know getting them to teach the uh the younger kids and then obviously they're learning by doing <laughs> um, i think actually yeah you're right um I, I always find that if you're comfortable enough to be able to teach someone a skill or, or something then you actually know the the content very well yourself
2: well exactly um, and i guess yeah. tamara i know you're very familiar with the perma model um, but that's where we get into meaning and purpose, right? So we actually have a school in um, Australia who have a group of students who are struggling academically. They're not coming to school, very disengaged. And so what they're doing with them is making them friendO leaders. We now have purpose. We have meaning, and we know the impact that has. And then now and it's all centered on relationships and supporting. So, I mean, it just, it, it's working brilliantly.
1: Yeah. terrific.
0: it's, it, that's fascinating. I think Jason and I were talking recently about the fact that Martin Seligman has recently, recently focused a little bit more on mattering than meaning. And we, we both agree that this is just when you take that internal meaning and purpose and focus it out for the greater good. And people, feel good when they're helping. It's almost impossible to be helping someone else and simultaneously feel negatively. Uh, And so I think this is where you look at PERMA. And if you took the R out, you can see all of the aspects. So you get positive emotions through relationships, you get meaning and purpose, you you accomplish things, you are engaged. And so it's kind of like, duh, of course we start with relationships.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I totally agree. And, and even if you've looked at, um, Ash Buchanan's benefit mindset, I mean, I, I just, I think that is brilliant. And the way that we all need to be, I I think it is natural for us actually to be, um, moving through life with this benefit mindset. So rather than, um, so for your listeners, if they're not familiar, we know a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, but a benefit mindset kind of takes it to the next level where we're not only looking at how we can grow, it's about how we can help others, you know, how we can make sure that everything we're doing is kind of for the greater good. Um, And so, yeah, it just combines all those beautiful elements of flourishing.
0: I love that. And it brings me very nicely to a question that I like to ask all of our guests and i'm very excited to hear how you answer it because you are definitely looking through a slightly different lens than any of our guests to date and so what i wonder is if you go into a school and it is fully immersed it is a you are strong it is a friendship functional school how would you know walking in and you described before the energy mm. kind of a going between two different types of schools that one feels one way and one feels another way. So certainly there's that energetic piece, but what would this school look and feel and sound like if everything went right relationship wise?
2: Oh my gosh. So I two things come to mind for the first one is a word and the word is harmony. We feel it feels harmonious. Doesn't mean we're not having friendship fires. We absolutely are. Um, because that's normal. Friendship fact number one: no friendship or relationship is perfect. But there's this, this, um, this understanding and this kind of uh, like acceptance that this is just normal. And so I think of you know Dr. Susan David's word, emotional agility. Like we're we're agile about it. Like we're 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 feel okay. Um, but my second thought is an example that came into me yesterday from one of our you Are Strong schools in Hong Kong. Um, actually, the Canadian International School in Hong Kong, they've recently had our friendology educator training. The teachers have just taught friendology to their students. And a teacher emailed and said um, that she had two students, two boys who. So she was saying that the friendology program is, is working, you know, and that um, they're using the language. But this scenario was two boys were having a friendship fire. So she said, I normally would have gotten involved, you know, and tried to help them. But I stepped back. I let them go out and talk it out. Um, I kept an eye on them and I could see they were talking. The two boys were talking. And she said, I checked in with the master to see how it went. And they said, well, we're in the yellow zone now. We're in the yellow zone now, but we're getting there. And I know we're going to get to the green zone. So... I just live for these moments, right? I'm just like, I'm crying. I get this email because so many things. I'm just like, okay, first of all, the teacher taught the language and strategies to the students. Second of all, the students feel confident enough to go out there and have a really grown up adult conversation with their friend. Third of all, the kids were okay with the fact that, yeah, they're in the yellow zone. They're not green right away. They had a friendship fire, so it felt red. But they already made progress, and they know they're going to get there. I just like so many things about that scenario to me. I'm just like, you've you got it. This is what it should look like. This is real life, but these are, um, this is a community that understands conflict is normal, but we can survive it, and that we can get through it together with trust and respect at the foundation.
0: Such a mature way of managing. And absolutely, that would be how a school would be dealing with regular, everyday bumps in the road to relationships. They would just be bumps in the road, right? They wouldn't shut things down.
2: And even for the teacher to not get involved, like, yes, you should not be spending all of your lunches and recesses, putting out friendship fires and solving all the kids' problems for them. These are their friendships. This is their life. They've got this. So we just give them the skills and language up front, and then we allow them the space and the time to actually put those skills to practice. And this is when we do create um, these schools, are you are strong schools who have healthy, flourishing friendships, you know? So um, yeah, that's uh, that's, you know, harmony is kind of the idea, but This idea that we're all, we're accepting of one another. We've got trust and respect and we feel the connections. You know, we feel the love.
1: Dana, you're obviously very well read, particularly in the space of relationships and the science behind that. Um, We like to, because we're a podcast, right? You know, give our listeners some other things that they might like to listen to as well, or, um, you know, maybe read, but preferably listen to, right? Um, Oh, yeah. Is there... there, (laughs) So in terms of either professional or fun podcasts that you listen to, could you give uh, our listeners maybe one or two things um, that that you like? Or if you don't listen to podcasts, we're happy with a book.
2: Oh, <laughs> we're happy with the book. Um, so, no, I like podcasts, of course. Um, so recently I have been listening to the School of Wellbeing podcast with Meg Durham, and she does a really incredible job of – Um, I was, she interviewed me recently, but also all of her guests are really interesting, Um, obviously super relevant to our field of work. Um, Personally, I have been loving the Practicing Human podcast by Corey Mascara, who's trained in positive psychology as well. Um, It's my go-to before bed, lots of really practical strategies, little tidbits to just you know, feel more and very empowering as well. Like, I love stuff like that. Um, yeah. And in terms of books, I, I mean, Together by Dr. Vivek Murphy is one of the best books I've ever read. You know, as the, the Surgeon General in the U.S., you know, he said there is n- no drug he could prescribe that could have a bigger impact than um, connection and relationships. So his research is, and his book was just so good. Uh, permission to Feel by Doctor Mark Professor Mark Brackett, of course. I love that one. Emotional Agility, Susan David. I could go on. And <laughs> yeah, you could. Life. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, there's there's <laughs> two I'm podcasts gonna... and, and and three books, so <laughs> yeah, um, our listeners a have a treat. few things to get into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Thanks, so Dana. I, th- I think there's some great recommendations there and some unique ones too that we haven't heard yet. So that's great.
0: Yeah, I love getting unique resources and and sharing them out with everybody. So on that note. I know that you have an opportunity coming up for schools to get introduced more deeply to your work, Dana, do you want to share a little bit about that before we wrap up?
2: Uh, Yes, absolutely. So next week, um, we've got our director of UR Strong Schools, Tyson Greenwood, who is our implementation expert and has done the most brilliant job implementing Friendology at one of the largest schools in the Southern Hemisphere. So he's going to be sharing what it means to be your strong school. Um, So that's a free webinar for educators, but also teachers can go onto our website and sign up for a 14 day free trial where they can check out Friendology and the hundreds and hundreds of resources that we have available for teachers and parents um, but it really is about creating that common language of friendship. So yeah, lots there to work with.
0: Awesome. I cannot encourage our audience more to grab that offer because Dana has great stuff, Dana and her team. So I think we are just about out of time. I have so enjoyed catching up with you and hearing a bit more about friends and friendship and, and the work that you're doing for anyone who's listening. You please tell your friends about this fabulous podcast. You can also watch. You don't have to just listen. You can watch us because look how awesome we are <laughs> on our Flourish DX YouTube channel. And you'll find actually all the psych health and safety podcasts over there as well. Jason and I are very active on LinkedIn. And I know, Dana, you're on LinkedIn. What other social feeds? Where else can people find you?
2: Uh, I'm on all the things, you know, all the the things. Instagram. All the things for the Instagram and the the Twitters. I don't do the TikTok. And so many students have been asking me to get on there to do that. But, gosh, you know, you got to draw the line. Get rid
0: of Twitter and add TikTok.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, Twitter is where I I learn about, you know, articles and the latest research. But, yeah, I'm on the LinkedIn's and the Instagram's and the Facebook's. But, you know, who knows what's next? So, audience...
0: (laughs) catch up with us all there. We are all communicators. We're happy to talk to you. And I think that's it for today. We look forward to catching you all on our next episode. And until then, keep flourishing at school and in life. You've been listening to the Flourishing at School podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on whole school mental health, Follow Flourish DX School on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Flourishing at School podcast at www.flourishingatschool.com.